So I'll stand and sing our song of praise. If you will, we want to welcome each and everyone present today, and glad you're glad you're here. And I trust that life is good for you today, and and uh, and everyone is well. And uh, we're glad you're you're present to worship with us. We also want to welcome those who are viewing live uh, through streaming. We thank you for tuning in and being a part with us. Uh, so many different places and different people are are tuned in, and we're glad uh, that you're virtually tuning in to us. We also want to let you know that we're. We're open, and we'd love to have you if you're in the area uh, to have you come and join us on any any given Sunday. We as, as we open the doors by 9:30 in the morning, so we're ready to go by uh, this time uh, to go live. So thank you for tuning in and being a part with us. Want to give you a little challenge? Uh, we can reach more people if everyone would uh, get out their cell phones for just a moment, and and even those who are at home. And if you will take a moment to hit share. Maybe do a little watch party and share. You can reach a lot of people uh, as our message goes out each and every week. And so I give you that challenge uh, to, to share the message that you see uh, through the streaming as you're watching it, uh, even those here in the building. So we're glad you're present today, and God bless you for being here as we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Uh, just to let you know, we got a couple of things we, we just do in the service, kind of downsizing the service 
just a little bit. Hopefully in the next few weeks, we'll put a few more details and get back to some normalcy as we move forward together. So let's pray as we begin our worship. Father, we thank you that you give us opportunity, you give us joy to be able to meet here this day, to celebrate all that, that we have together as a body in Christ, and to realize the importance of the church, the universal church that, that meets, whether it's inside this building or whether it is in the comfort of, of someone's home. And we thank you for the technology that we have that we can uh, reach the people all around us and to include each and every one and yet, Father, we just pray that you would just help our hearts be lifted up, our hearts to be reflective of your glory and your grace, to recognize your, your love, but more importantly, everything we do in this service and the time that we have together will be a time in which your name is lifted up and you are glorified above all else. And again, thank you for your care, your provision, your grace, and your love. In your name that we pray, amen. And all the people 
Indeed, guys. Thank you so much. And as our hearts are uh, directed heavenward together, as we think about the goodness of God and His grace and all that we, we can share together. And it is an amen, an amen to what God does in our lives. But today I want to bring a message entitled, um, The Simplicity of Heart. Simplicity of Heart in Acts chapter 2 and verses 37 through 47. And the focal verse and the message comes from the exact wording of verse 46. Now, one of the things that's probably happened throughout the course of this pandemic over the last eight and going on nine weeks now for us in this part of the world is that it may have helped to simplify some things in your own life. And it may help you to look at things a little different than you've looked in quite a while. It may have helped you as well to realize what's important and what's not. And, you know, it happens all throughout life. Many times we, we think things are important, and yet when we get down to it, after looking at it in its closest standpoint, we realize it may not be important at all. And the things that we thought were not important become very important to us as well. And so there are a lot of positives and a lot of good that comes from things that, that, that appear to us, even something as we've been dealing with over the last several weeks. And so I trust today that one of the things that can happen for the body of Christ, and we're talking about the body of Christ wherever we are, whether you're in New York, whether you are in Alaska, whether you're in Florida, whether you're in Texas, whether you're in Oklahoma, whether you're in Colorado, whether you're in Virginia, North Carolina, or South Carolina, wherever you are is the fact that we as a church have an opportunity to worship God in the simplicity that God has designed it to be. Worship does not have to be complicated. And the church itself, the growth of the church, depends upon the simplicity of our heart as it comes to our allegiance and our worship to the Lord God. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 47... It is the passage in the context right after the sermon that was given by Apostle Peter. The chapter 2 is the direction of Pentecost that happened all over the world for them in their hearts. And yet, in verse 37, this is what happens. When they heard this, now what did they hear? When they just heard the message from Peter, the sermon that Peter just gave as a discourse, a, right there, in verse 37, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Pierced to the heart. Now, I know that you understand that phrase. When you read a scripture, and all of a sudden it jumps out from the printed page, and it hits you like a lead balloon, or the light comes on in the midst of darkness and you understand for the first time what that passage means or that scripture means. And so this is what happened. As they heard this sermon, their hearts were pierced and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what must we do? What is it? What is What do I need to do for my personal life after hearing the message that has just been preached about the Lord Jesus Christ? 
who is Lord and Messiah. And then Peter answers. You would think it would be a long discourse. You'd think it'd be some long, profound statement. He says, repent. That's it. Repent. And so it's interesting that Peter understands the value of the Holy Spirit already in the life of the believer that just happened, that is recorded in chapter 2, beginning of chapter 2, what we call the coming of Pentecost. He already understands the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer and what it is doing to the inside of that person. And Peter says, repent. And Peter said to them, and be baptized. Each of you in the name of Jesus the Messiah for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from the corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day 3,000 people were added to them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and had everything in common. That's the key. When the togetherness breaks down and the commonality is no longer sensed, the church breaks down as well. So they sold their possessions and their property and distributed the proceeds to all as everyone had need. And here's the key. And every day they devoted themselves to the meeting together in the temple complex. They broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people and every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. So according to this one passage of scripture, what is the key to the church? What is the one thing that the church has a focus on? And it is the salvation of those who are around. That's the focus. It's the evangelistic appeal in the, in the community in which they live. And so Peter is preaching a message in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that the power of the Holy Spirit was working all of the crevices inside the heart of everyone who was listening. And as a result, people were being added to the church daily, demonstrated through their baptism, demonstrated through their commitment to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread. And the church was together. And you say, Pastor, one of the most difficult things today is to realize that we as a church can't be together. Now, there are two, two togethernesses, if that's a word, that we need to, 
to speak about. First of all, togetherness has something to do with mind and heart. It's not necessarily about the function of being side by side. But then there's the other aspect of not a, of forsaking the assembling together in worship. So the togetherness here is a little bit different than what we may be systematically used to all throughout the Western world of where we come together in one place. I firmly believe that those who are virtually attending now and you who are in this very building has a moment to be together. Universally, we can be together. We can be together because of one common goal and one common purpose, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And committed to the one focus of the Lord Jesus Christ being, being proselyted, evangelized into the heart of every person. And when, that, when we lose that sense of joy and we lose that sense of commitment, we have lost the sense of togetherness and the commonality. So that's, what, what's, be, that's what's happening here in Acts chapter 2, verses 37, 37 through 47. And so how does a church body grow? That's the question as we think about this message. How does the church body grow? You know, there are answers right there in the Scripture. There are answers to so many things, right? If you're, if you're trying to search for the answer, the Scriptures actually give you and I the answers. You know, there's something about worship. There's something about our commitment to Christ. There's something about loving Him. There's something about prayer. There's something about worship. There's something about the personalness of where we cry out to God and we, we place ourselves before Him and we say, God, I have sinned and I need, I'm in need of your grace. I'm in need of your mercy. I am in need of you doing something in my life and I lay myself before you. There's all sorts of ways of how the church can grow individually and corporately. If I want to be the person to help this church grow, I've got to grow personally first. I've got to be committed to the teaching. I've got to be committed to the prayer. I've got to be committed to the, the singleness of purpose in mind, the simplicity of what the church is all about as we are a channel of grace for the world in which we live this day. And I hope over the last eight to nine weeks that you have felt and you have sensed that channel of grace, that you have felt as if God is moving in a way in your life beyond your belief and beyond your imagination, that God is up to something greater than what others can see, that we can see the invisible happening, that we can see God's movement of his spirit, that we can see people being called unto the Lord, we can see people submitting their life to him, the church itself, when it becomes a very simplistic mind and heart, will grow in so many beautiful ways. So that question, we're going to answer it throughout this message. And hopefully by the end of that, you can, you can write down and jot down the idea of, of what it means for the church to grow. Let me give you three aspects of growth. Three aspects of growth. Number one is devotion 
in worship. You find it in verse 42 of that passage we read, and it's, it basically says to us, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, when you look at, if you try to define what is devotion for the body of Christ, what is devotion for your life and mine, what is devotion for the church at large, here's the answer. Right there, it says that they devoted themselves, first of all, to teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And, and you think about where, where, a, where a church function is all about. It's about teaching. It's about prayer. It's about communing together. It's about fellowship. Fellowship being the koinia. Fellowship not just sitting off to the side and, and shooting the breeze, and finding out what's happening in life. We're talking about fellowship that, 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 that deals with the spirit to the spirit. A fellowship that says that you and I are, are together in heart and mind because of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be in fellowship when you pray. You can be in fellowship when you study. You can be in fellowship when you break the bread together. And so the growth of how to grow as a church, it, it goes back to devotion. It goes back to that worship time. How has your time been in your private time with God in the mornings over the last eight to nine weeks? It's changed, hasn't it? You know, you don't have to hurry <laughs> to go anywhere because we were locked down. And so you had more time. You had more enjoyment to enjoy nature or maybe out on the back porch or somewhere secluded outside or inside your home. Something happened in your devotion that changed your perspective. Well, guess what? God is defining the simplicity of the heart. He's helping us get back to the simplistic nature of what the church is all about. And so if I don't move this, I'm going to burn this place down. But anyway... <laughs> But it's about, it's about the simplicity of our lives committed to the Lord God. I mean, it's exciting that God, you know, God's probably sitting back and saying, all right, now I've got the world's attention. You've lost my, I lost your attention for, for hundreds of years, and now that I've got your attention, now let's see what's going to happen. It's all about the simplicity of heart. Get rid of all the complicatedness and get back to the basics. And the basics for a church body and an individual who's a part of that church body is the, is the commitment to teaching, the commitment to fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and prayer. And second of all, if you look in verse 44, three aspects of growth now, all the believers were together and had everything in common. All the believers were together and had everything in common. We're talking about unity, and we're talking about togetherness. And so this day, um, this day you have opportunity to, to be together and to be unified as a body in Christ, not being to the point that you understand that you and I have to think the same, act the same, or be the same, but you and I understand that the togetherness is about a simplicity 
and singleness of purpose. Now, if you and I as a body in Christ are committed to being a channel of grace, we're committed to one common purpose, aren't we? To be that that extension of God's grace to our neighbors, to our family, to our spouses, to our children, to our community, to the lost world, to to, to those who are committed to Christ, that we become an extension of grace to everyone around us. That's the unity. Also being committed to this, that you and I know that if a person commits their life to the Lord Jesus Christ and that they understand that their sins are forgiven, that they understand that the, the togetherness is that people commit their life to Jesus and they're changed. They're changed because of Jesus. They're changed because of what Christ does for an individual life. And so this is a beautiful opportunity to recognize unity and togetherness. Now, that doesn't mean we can't disagree. It's okay. Everyone has opinions. Everyone has the opportunity to be able to express their heart's desire. But if the, if the, the expression of that heart's desire leads us to move away from the singleness of purpose that we're called on as a church, then we are creating disunity. Jesus Christ is the number one claim for the church. What Jesus Christ does for your heart and mine is the number one claim for the church. Only way unto the Father is through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you come up with any other formation and calculation and and any other way to come to the Father, then you and I have just broken the singleness of purpose. There's only one way. And Jesus is the answer. And the unity and the togetherness as a body in Christ is that you and I coming to Christ must do as Peter answered in that first verse of 37 when they asked him, what must we do? Peter said, repent. If you want to know the answer to the solution of your problematic area, if you're caught in the traption of sin, the answer is repentance. And repentance is the turning of 180 degrees going in the opposite direction in which you are heading and you commit your life and say, Lord Jesus, save me from this mess of my own life. And from this day on, and gratitude and, 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 and my heart expression of love to you, I will leave that life behind and I will move on to a new life in the spirit. That's it. There is no other negotiation. There's no other way that a church can come together except living by those principles. Now, how we do ministry, we can have all sorts of ideas. We can go prayer driving as we talked about last week and park there in the road in in front of someone's house into their driveway, pull them up to the door and pray with them and have a special time of prayer as they see our efforts of being there in in their particular property and we show effort and we pray with them. 
We can have different ways to do ministry as we send out food and we deliver food to people's houses to help them in a time of need or to pay a bill or whatever. We can have all sorts of ways to do ministry. That's not going to cause a problem. That's the uniqueness of being the channel of grace for the world in which we live. But if we try to tear down the principle of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are breaking the unity and the togetherness because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And in order to know the truth and to be set free, you've got to know the truth and live the truth to understand freedom. And so under, under this, these aspects of growth, we, we agree together devotion and worship and unity and together. Now look at verse 46. It gives us the third aspect. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Contentment and gladness. Contentment and gladness. Here on this day, they were very content. They were very glad. Why? Because they devoted themselves to meeting together. Now, here was an instance where we're talking about the actual meeting together as a body of people. They were meeting together. This is the worship time, the corporate worship time. And they devoted themselves to that, and then they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And so the joy of it is this. Now, there are two things in the breaking of the bread. Now, for us, well, we won't share communion today, but we will eventually share communion in the near future. But if we had that, that loaf of bread, we break that bread and we share off the common loaf and we share out of the common cup and we share the joy of the, the proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, and the life that we have through our own death to our sin and the rising of newness of life in the power of Christ. We celebrate that in the breaking of that bread. But we also celebrate in the breaking of the bread when we get one-on-one -on -one with one another and we begin to commune with one another and we begin to conversate with one another. We get into the deep aspect of each other's lives and we, we talk about what the Lord's doing in our life on an individual basis and something clicks Something, the tick and the talk start really getting loud and our heart gets in step with God's heart as we communicate one to another and we hear the excitement of what God's doing in your life. You hear the excitement of what God's doing in my life and we share together in that kononia, that fellowship. A lot of good things happen. A lot of good things take place and God is a God who, who, who I, I think relishes in that joy when that happens. So as we continue to answer the question, how does a church body grow? Through devotion and worship, through unity and togetherness, through contentment and gladness. Now, what the question I have is, what do they really have in common? What do they really have in common? Well, I want to give you three things based on these scriptures that they really had in common that I think can help you and I together understand what you and I need to have 
in common as a body of Christ. Number one, there has to be a desire to grow. It has to be a desire to grow. In other words, fellowship, communion, and prayer. There has to be a desire to grow. There's one thing saying, you know, to, to be at this place in my life, there's another thing to say, I want to be at this place in my life. There's two different things. Everyone is at this point in their life. But are you satisfied with this point of your life and do you want it to move to another area? So do you have that desire individually in fellowship, communion, and prayer of, of, of growing in the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ in your personal fellowship with him. Well, if those three things are missing, fellowship with God, fellowship and fellowship with believers, communion with God, and individual prayer, if those three things are missing, it will answer the question for you, where's my desire? If those things, three things are missing, then you've got a desire issue. You understand? Again, I'm not presenting this to bring judgment in anyone's life. I'm presenting this as I see it in Scripture as a way to evaluate my personal life. And as I evaluate my personal life, I thought it might be good to include others because it's reaching me, so it's got to reach others. Because the Scriptures are real. They're sharper than any two-edged sword. They're able to pierce the divisions of the heart, of soul and mind, and it can get us back to the very simplicity of heart and the basics of life and help us to realize where we need to grow as an individual and how much time this past week did you spend in prayer? Not have to answer out loud, just something to think about. How many actual minutes did you spend in prayer compared to the actual minutes that you fed yourself food. Uh-oh. Oops. I ate two hamburgers. I may have should have just stopped at one. You know, when you start looking at our time frame, now time is not how to measure the quality of your prayer life. No. But the quality of your prayer life changes in the amount of time as it gets deeper and deeper with God. If you're spending less time in prayer in your personal life, if I'm spending less time in prayer in my personal life, then that's saying something not only to God, but to myself. Where's my greatest desire? Where do I spend the most time in? All right, and when you look at communion, what happens in prayer is the automatic communion that occurs. There's nothing like... There's nothing like when you sit down with your spouse and you have conversation, you're talking about things and it's getting into a deep conversation and it's good. You, you, you realize at the end of that conversation, oh, we haven't had this type of deep conversation in a while and it's been good to connect with one another. It's been good to hear your feelings. It's been good to express my feelings and, and it helps you connect. Well, the same thing happens through prayer and communion with God. We get our feelings out. We begin to listen to God. We begin to hear things we haven't heard before. We see the Spirit in a way in which we haven't seen the Spirit work in our life and something begins to transpire that's getting deeper and deeper in that communion together and we realize, ah, this moment has been good to have been in worship privately with my Father that I haven't had in a while. 
The same thing happens in fellowship one with another, the true koinonia. Now, I'm a, this is probably, you probably won't want to answer this question out loud, and I probably wouldn't either. But has anyone come up to you lately and said, how much time have you spent studying God's word today or this week? Has anyone come up to you lately and said, how much time have you been in prayer today or this week? Has anyone come up to you and said, when was the last time you shared your faith? And then they say to you, all right, if you can't answer that question, then what's the problem? You understand those, those deep questions? Those are very personal questions, aren't they? And if we're honest, you're basically answering back, I'm getting ready to give you what my real heart's desire is. Because if I can't answer those questions in the fellowship, communion, and prayer that is indicative to my relationship to God in depth and in meaning, then I've got my desire somewhere else. So therefore, I must take a, 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 an evaluation and a look at what's there and maybe go to the point and look into the computer of our mind and hit the delete button to one thing and encapsulate the other, highlight it and bold it and italicize it and blow it up if you have to, put it in its own file that says this file is the most important file of my life and all these other things if they're not deleted, they're put in a lesser file that I'll go back one day. And therefore, we, and then we look back at it and we say, okay, I've simplified things. I've gotten rid of, I've gotten rid of the zucchini and brought in a cucumber. Or I've, I've got rid of the apple and brought in a beautiful orange. You're, you're, you're taking steps that brings, I'm hungry when I said that. You bring these steps together and it brings back the simplicity of life. So, what you and I, what you and I could have in common that indicates our, our worship to God, our aspects of growth, is our desire to grow through fellowship, communion, and prayer. And the second of all is the desire to remain focused, the common goal. Have you ever had a spouse say to you, and you're, you're involved in something, and you got your phone or your computer, or you're sitting there reading a book, you're watching a television show, and your spouse says to you, did you hear me? And you're like, yeah, I think I did. All right, what did I say? Well, you said, mm, honestly, I don't know. You want to say it again? You've been there, right? We've all, all right. So we're talking about the, the remain focused. And so when it comes to our relationship with God, if God brought forth a quiz back to us after our time of fellowship with him and communion, would we pass the quiz? Would we say, can you say that again? Uh, can we go back and rewind the tape and get back to where I was at the beginning so that I go back and didn't miss, I didn't miss something? And so there's, there's the one common goal, and I've already said it, and the common goal that every believer, and I don't care where you are and whoever's listening in, what state you're at this very day, and if you're in this building or you're out, out in your comfort of your home, if the, the common goal for the church is other than the Lord Jesus Christ and how he's presented, then we are missing the boat. I think many people, Pastors, many ministries, many churches 
think their common goal is to be so creative and, and being so different, no longer being traditional, but try to create something contemporary and it will reach the, the millennial generation or you reach the, the, the Y generation or you reach the, boomer, the baby boomer generation, whatever generation. And it has nothing to do with that. It goes back to the Lord Jesus Christ. It goes back to the heart that's committed to him. And it doesn't matter if it's contemporary or traditional. If the Lord God gets a hold of the heart, it, 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 that's the most important thing. Everything else is just fluff. It's just the color around the magnificent wonder of God. It goes back to simplicity. Simplicity of heart. Thank you, God, for allowing a pandemic to happen if it caused the United States of America and every other country in the world to become very simplistic in their faith to you. It, and it has happened in many people's lives. Some have missed it. Some are still looking for the facts. Some live by the data. And some are, are controlled by it. And they have no faith and they have no belief that God can do the impossible and perform the miracle. And he can. Because all things are possible with, those, with God and those who believe. So we must remain focused on the goal. That's why the church was growing. They were focused on Jesus. They wasn't focused on buildings and budgets. They wasn't focused on individuals and personalities. They were focused on Jesus. And when Jesus is the focus, the church grows. Not only numerically, but they grow personally individually and when Jesus comes alive in every individual heart something grand happens it's beautiful Jesus is real and what they had in common number three is a desire to remain genuine and you see that in their joyfulness and you see that in their simplicity praising God it says in verse 47 and having favor with all the people and every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. Praising God with gladness, simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. The desire to remain genuine. You get what you see. The genuineness of who we are is not based on the personality God's created. It's based on the interlocking of his DNA and his personality inside ours. That's when it becomes genuine. So the person you meet tomorrow is the same person you'll meet one year later if they are in the Lord. That's the genuineness and that's being alive in Christ. Now I know you've, you've seen it. You may have been accused of it. I may have seen it. I may have been accused of it. He's, he or she's just a fake Christian. You, basically what that's, you know what it's saying? The person who's making that judgment is saying, I don't believe what I see is genuine. Ooh. So it's not, the problem is not their judgment. The problem is we might need to take a look and say, okay, they saw something in me I haven't seen in myself. 
And if they're thinking they're not seeing the genuineness, is there something in my life that I need to go back and punt, start over again? I'm getting ready for football season. Go back and punt and start over again to find out the genuineness of myself in relationship to the Lord God. And so the desire to remain joyful in the process and genuine is the key to us remaining in common together. It's interesting that if you go back in that passage, now, now all the believers were together and had everything in common. And it goes on to give explanation in verse 45, they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had need. So it's not about the selling of the property. It's not about the selling of possessions, even though that's very, very important. The point of that is they were so together and bent on purpose in ministry that they cared about their community and if it meant they had to sell everything they all owned in order to minister to the community who was at need, they were willing to do it and they did it. That's being so common, um, being so together and having a common purpose. That's amazing. So you and I are focused upon the genuineness, the goal, the common goal, and our fellowship, communion, and prayer. And when those things are in focus, you can go back and say, I believe that that group of people has it together. So what is the result of their togetherness? What is the result of their togetherness? You find in verse 47, the second part of that, the result is... And every day, the Lord added to them those who were being saved. That's the result. That's the result of of God working in the heart and the life of that individual through your life in ministry. And if one person is saved because of your love and care and grace extended to them and your words and action and all the genuineness of who you are, then that's, that's what it's about. That's the joy of being a part of the ministry of the body of Christ. The togetherness is result, the result of the, the togetherness, I'll get it out in a minute, is people coming to know the Lord. So I'm going to ask you three questions. You don't have to answer them out loud, okay? When was the last time you actually witnessed to someone and led them to Christ? Okay, don't answer out loud. How much time this past week did you spend in prayer compared to everything else? in your life. And when was the last time that you just praised God in worship privately? And that's all the focus has been, God. Those are questions in which you and I must answer for ourselves in order to be together as a body in Christ to see the power of the Holy Spirit fall upon the life of the community and the state and the world in which we live. And it will begin with me. You've heard this, you know, Lord, let a revival begin, but let it begin in me. 
There's truth to that. Revival has to happen in my individual heart before it can happen in yours. It has to happen in your individual heart before it can happen in mine. And so each, each individual, when they are revived in their relationship, in the Spirit of God, in the love of God, in the grace of God, the mercy of God, something happens, life changes, and goodness results, and people see it, and the world is affected, and people come to know the Lord through our commitment to God. So the Lord added to the number daily, and the people were attracted because of the unity and togetherness. You'll keep on reading in the book of Acts in chapter 3, 4, 5, and 6. You'll continue to see the development of the New Testament church to where they began to meet in homes. And little by little, they, they had small groups meeting, one small group after another. And the church was growing. And then occasionally they would get together in a corporate worship service and then they would celebrate all the little worship moments they've had all throughout their community. You know, years ago, back in the 1920s, it came out through Sunday School Board at, that they, they said the way you grow your church is to grow your Sunday school. You know, that, that same principle applies. And churches all across America designed their their function and their life as a church about the number of Sunday school classes. So if they had two adult classes and they started with three or they had one children's class and started with two or moved to two or youth class from one to two or three or four, you start multiplying. What they were doing is getting back to the small groups. The New Testament church is based upon small groups and the small groups that meet on a regular basis creates the livelihood and the life and the ministry of the body of Christ. And then those small groups get together for corporate worship to celebrate the goodness that has happened over the last week, weeks or months or years. It was more important to set up the house churches. It could be that this pandemic will, will tear apart the life of the corporate worship service. Be prepared. It may change our focus as an entire body of people that normalcy doesn't return to the life in which we knew it prior to the shutting down of the world. It could possibly be that God says, I'm going to simplify this systematic way that you have created as a people to do worship. And I'm going to put back in your heart the simplicity of the nature of a house church where people may not be comfortable sitting in a, a, a worship service of 500, but they may be comfortable sitting in a living room of 10. And I could take those 10, those, those 10 people in those living rooms and I can multiply it by 100 times and I could put, put churches in every community of where everybody lives and you pull together that body. That's a different focus, isn't it, guys? That's a New Testament focus. That's not an American, Western world, industrialized society focus. It's all about bigger is better. More money is success. The more you can spend and the more you can have indicates the better of blessings and riches that we have in our life. It's not about simplicity. Put that down, bank on it. 
Simplicity is here. Simplifying our life is here. The way we do life is here, is different. And it doesn't mean it's bad. It has all capabilities of wonderful goodness and grace and mercy because God says, I'm going to give you a break. I'm going to help you to understand the value of what it means to be in common together in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, now that I got through with the introduction, you ready for the message? No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I want to bring this to a close to give you and I a challenge together. Hope none of this message is not a message of judgment. It's not a message to make you at home or we here to feel bad. It is a message that challenges each of us individually to look at our own personal relationship to God and determine between us and God what we need to do to accentuate and, and, and acclaim our relationship in a better way. And when that happens, God will be glorified in our own personal lives and in the life of the church. So I give you a challenge today to commit your life to one common purpose, the Lord Jesus Christ. And let the Holy Spirit do something amazing with and in you that can change who you are and could give you a refocus and a retooling of how you go about ministry for him. If you've never committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you're at home today and you've never committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to ask you to do something. The greatest thing that you could ever do is to cry out to Abba Father and say, Father, I give you my life today, and I ask that you could forgive me of my sin. Come save my soul. I promise you that heaven will become silent all angels will hush as God deals personally with you and he gives you the gift of salvation and when he knows you've got it and you understand it and the Holy Spirit has fallen upon you, then the angel of heaven will rejoice over one sinner, you, who commit your life to Jesus. Now, folks, if you've made that commitment at home and you want someone to help you, what I want you to do is I want you to dial our number. You can find it on our website, but I'm going to give it to you, 843-828-3333, okay? Very, very easy to remember. Area code of our area, 843-828-3333. Call that number. If you do not reach somebody, leave a brief message, and I promise you we'll expedite it and get back with you, and we'll walk you through the steps of salvation. Well, God bless you today. As you commit your life to the Lord Jesus, as you commit your, your heart and your, and your mind to who he is and commitment to living in his joy and living in his love and his grace and watch God do amazing things with all of us together as the body of Christ, growing in our relationship to God. Father, I thank you that you give us opportunity this very day to celebrate you, to celebrate Jesus, to celebrate the Holy Spirit's work in the life of our, as believers in our world. 
We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for freshness. We thank you for the call to Jesus this day and the focus of who he is. Father, we want to say we love you. We honor you. We worship you. And we recognize you as Abba, Father, Lord, and King, and Mighty, and Master, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, God of this world. And we recognize you as who you are. Please take our worship time this day, and may it be a blessing unto your name. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Magnify his name. 